Good to see you on a Wednesday freezing evening, huh? The temperatures and times have changed. We're glad that you're out for tonight. We're going to be starting a new series. We'll be talking about that here in a little bit. I uh, want to remind you, we're also getting ready for the Christmas choir. Hopefully you've already signed up for that. If you haven't, all of you are eligible. You're breathing. You're in here. You're already halfway into the loft. You might as well just go ahead and sign up. We've had some really good response so far. So I'm very excited that over Christmas, we'll be breaking out a Christmas choir for the three Sundays of December. And do you realize we're not that far away from December? Is that not crazy? It's like summer hits and all of a sudden we're ready for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. So speaking of Thanksgiving, and I hope we can get to those slides. Can we pull up the Thanksgiving slide? I'm, I'm a little bit going with that one first instead of my sermon. We are this year, we didn't get to do it last year, and this year we believe it's really timely that we come together as a church family, and we want to thank the body of Christ for how much people have been giving through the COVID season, not just financially, not just uh, $2 million, which quite frankly is some serious giving above and beyond our budget offerings, but giving in their time of serving, loving people, re-engaging coming out of COVID, it's just a good time for us to get together and to, to just celebrate as the body of Christ. So the meal is free. You say, well, why do I need to sign up then? We need to know how many meals to prepare, number one. Number two, uh, the seating, we have to go to six people a table. So we can't seat as many people in this space as we want to. So it's going to be first come, first serve. We have to maximize the chairs. And then if we have overflow, the beauty of a new $2 million building is we can have a bunch of folks duplicating this space in the backyard of the children's building their large group space there so we're going to be able to serve as many people who will sign up we need you to go on the church center app or onto a communication card or you can email the office and we'll get you logged in we need to know how many are going to be in your party it can be your family it can be a sunday school class and we would need to know the names of people in your party but if you could help us start getting the registrations in we already have a hundred signed up after sunday so that's going pretty quick and i hope we'll have a big turnout for the Thanksgiving dinner. So hopefully you enjoyed your dinner tonight. I'm going to have you go around the room and just hug on somebody, uh, love on them, let them know you're glad they're here at PCBC tonight. Let's all get on our feet and spread out in the room real quick and let's share some love then we'll go to worship.
especially tonight. Terry and I got to go down to New Orleans this past weekend. We got to watch the Saints play. It was an exciting game, and we yelled our voices out. So we're still recovering. Need you to sing out loud and give us some support, all right? So tonight, think about all the blessings the Lord's given The goodness, the things that he's given us that we don't deserve. Thank you for that. We also want to thank him for his presence and his power. When things are hard, he's right there with us. He is working, maturing. Even in those difficult things, they're blessings. Relationship with him are wings. Glory, invite you to stand with us and give him your praise. Thank you. 
Great. 
specific lessons he's poured on your life this week. We're beginning a new series. I appreciate Josh filling in for the past few weeks of helping us to wrestle with ways of having God conversations with people about issues in our culture, issues in our day, not just to talk about the issues or argue about the issues or even try to persuade them to believe right, but to use those as bridges into God conversations. And uh, I got to hear a great conversation that Miss Mary Nichols in the very back had today. And you're going to be hearing that story. We haven't had time to talk yet, Miss Mary, but we're going we're gonna to give Jesus some glory. She got to lead her one to the Lord to ver- this day, right? Today? Yeah, yesterday. So you're going to hear more about that story when we get time. And, 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 and our goal is to be salt and light in the earth. And we cannot be that if we are not living out the truth that we're going to study tonight. The theme is called Abide. If you look at the logo uh, for this series, there's a lot of symbolism there. We're going to talk about the word abide. And in that logo, you can see a couple things. You see the cross, hopefully. Can you see the cross there? Uh, We're to abide in Christ, Christ who died on a cross, but not just died, who resurrected from the dead. And Philippians 3.10 talks about Paul's desires that he might grow in the knowledge and understanding and, and the wisdom of who Jesus is and might know him more intimately and personally and that he might also know that resurrection power in his own story, his own life. And we find that that happens as you abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. But you also see a Bible opened up there at the bottom that we abide in a relationship with Christ and one of the ways we grow and receive from Christ is through his revealed will in his holy word and so it's living in the word living in Christ and living in this world through this word called abide well where do we get that word abide you probably have memorized this passage but turn to John chapter 15 John chapter 15 verses 4 through 5 speak of this abiding relationship. Now, in the New American Standard, he uses the word, uses the word remain or abide in me. So look at verse 4. Abide or remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain or abide in me. Jesus was teaching and he said it isn't going to church that produces the fruit. It isn't trying harder and and not doing certain things and starting to do other things that causes you to bear fruit. The fruit comes as a result of being plugged in to the vine. He says, I am that vine. I'm the life giver. And you are simply branches. And the only way that branch is ever going to produce any fruit is because it's receiving nourishment from the vine. If that vine gets broken off, and man, I don't even want to think about it as we're starting to come into ice and storm season. You remember all of our ice storms and the devastation of those branches that were laying in piles all over our city? Uh, They became, instead of fruitful branches, 
they became dead wood. And as you look throughout America today, there are many people who claim to know Christ, but clearly are not abiding in Christ because we're not seeing the fruit. And that's not to be judgmental. I wouldn't be in judgmental of those trees and saying, what a sorry tree. It's just a reality. It was separated from the trunk, and now there was no fruit coming from the branch. And that can happen to you, and that can happen to me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. So take a look in the mirror. Take a look in your relationships. Take a look in your attitude and see, do you see fruit? Now, what's the fruit? Well, I think you can easily go into Galatians, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't talk about the fruit of Bill Hulse or the fruit of you. The fruit of you is the flesh. The fruit of you is trouble. The fruit of you is rebellion. The fruit of you is immorality. That's what the flesh goes after. But in Galatians, it says that we are to live and walk by the Spirit and therefore have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That branch, if it's bearing oranges, it's because it is bearing the fruit of the root. It's an orange tree. That's what orange trees produce. It produces fruit. Well, what should Christians be producing? Squabbles? Factions? Division? Strife? No. But why do we see that in churches across our land? Why is that there? Because we have Christians going to church, abiding in a chair or a pew, but are not abiding in Christ. And so what comes out the flesh? Jesus taught, abide in me, be rooted in me, engage, connect with me, and as that happens, I will flow through you and the, and the fruit will burst out of your life. Isn't that what we're seeking to do, bring glory and honor to God? Now, I grew up, and I remember it was a big fad uh, back in the days when I was a little kid, and all the ladies had plastic fruit in their house. You remember when you had the plastic fruit all over your house? We had paintings of it. Uh, we had it sitting out on our kitchen table. We had it in the living room. We had it on wallpaper. It was everywhere. And that fruit looked really good from a distance, but it was all plastic, manufactured fruit way different than real fruit that has been grown from the vine and i'm afraid in many churches there's a bunch of plastic fruit sitting out there people trying to be godly people trying to be more patient people trying to be more gentle people trying to be more kind and getting under conviction oh man i'm not the christian i need to be I just need to be a nicer person. Or, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with this. And then we'll ask God, God, just help me. That's the wrong kind of prayer. The prayer is, God, I, I don't need more help. I need more of you. Lord, I need you to be my gentleness. I need you. As I abide in you, I need your fruit. Fruit, Spirit of God, live through me today. And that becomes a whole different reality. So how do we get there? What does that look like? Well, I would say this to you. Start with some fruit inspection tonight. Because at the end of that verse, he says, apart from me, what can you do? Okay, that's true. And that is the truth he's saying, nothing. But can I tell you, we can do a lot of stuff. apart, from, And we do a lot of stuff apart from him. But what he is talking about in context is, apart from him, you can't produce spiritual fruit. And so if you want to go back and look at the list in Galatians, you can take a look. Am I trying to be those things or am I letting Jesus be those things in me? 
And I would tell you this, that if you do the fruit inspection and there's nothing going on spiritually, don't let the enemy or the preacher beat up on you. That's a, that's a spirit of condemnation. That's what the enemy does. He brings condemnation against us. Let it bring conviction. It ought to convict us to be able to acknowledge and say, Lord, apparently I'm not abiding in you as I should be. Because if I'm abiding in Christ, what did he say would happen? I would bear how much fruit? Much fruit. So do a little bit of fruit inspection. But how do we abide in Christ? And what all does that mean? Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Tonight's message is kind of introductory to lay a foundation. And then on the Wednesdays to come, we will be abiding in the Word of God every single Wednesday night, and you will become iron sharpening iron to other people around your table. And we're literally all going to learn how to go one-on-one with God. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus is going one-on-one with the enemy. Just like you have today, just like you will tomorrow, just like you have in the past, there's not a day you wake up that you don't go one-on-one with the enemy. The enemy, Jesus said, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He just doesn't do that on Sunday mornings. He does that every morning you wake up. He's ready and waiting and sent out a vast army, demonic forces, according to Ephesians 6, 12, to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. And every day there's a one-on-one battle. Whether you're showing up ready for the battle or not, the battle wages on, and it doesn't stop. The question is, am I prepared for battle? So here is Jesus. He's ready to go one-on-one with the enemy. You know why? Because as was his custom, every single day he went one-on-one with the Father. You hear what I said? Every day you look at Jesus' life, and he would begin his day before anybody else was beginning their day. What was Jesus doing? Was he checking his social media feed? Was he putting together a task list of all the things he had? Because he had a lot to do. After all, he was called to save the world. He had a lot to do. Was he working through that calendar? Was he reading the Jerusalem Post? Was he catching up on all the news of the day? Or what was he doing? As was his custom, he went to the mountain to pray. Before he could do the will of the Father, he had to go one-on-one with the Father. And that's that whole emphasis of one-on-one with God. And while one-on-one with God is a small group strategy, a discipleship strategy that is available, and we're slowly breaking that out into small groups uh, as we continue to raise up trainers for that, one-on-one with God is abiding. It's John chapter 15. It's one-on-one, one and one, abiding in the one who produces his fruit in this one. That's what it means to abide. And Jesus lived that, and Jesus taught it. He just didn't tell us what to do. He modeled and lived what he preached. And so he went one-on-one with the Father, and because he had been one-on-one with the Father, he was now ready to go one-on-one with the enemy. Why are so many Christians defeated today? It isn't because they don't have the power. It isn't because they aren't saved. It's because they've not been one-on-one with the Father. It's because we've not been abiding in him and in his word and letting that abide in us. So watch Jesus gain the victory. Jesus answered the enemy. The enemy had come to him and had tempted him. You remember he had been fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit had led him to that point. He then encounters one-on-one with the enemy. And the enemy says, hey, you got to be hungry. 40 days, I can't go 40 minutes. Can you without some bread, some carbs? 
And he's gone 40 days. He says, hey, turn those rocks into bread. You're God. You're the creator. You can do anything. Tempting him. Lust of the eyes. He would test him with the lust of flesh and the pride of life. He would test him in all three categories of sin with these three temptations. And Jesus answered and said, don't you realize who I am? Who are you to even approach me? I'm God in the flesh. Get behind me, Satan. He said that before, hadn't he? Why didn't he say it now? What did he say? What did he say? It is written. I hope you are still awake from the sermon when Evie Hill preached that to us the other day and told us when the enemy approaches, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to hit him. And what do we hit him with? We hit him with our baptism certificate. We hit him with our church attendance pin. Do we hit him with our knowledge of Scripture? Well, to a degree, yes, but we hit him with the Word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the, sword of the, Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus gave a great truth there. It was the truth. It was the word. He used the sword. But he used the sword accurately as well. He just didn't quote some random verse. He quoted truth that was applicable to the attack that was coming at him. And how did he know what to draw out? Oh, I know. He had the Bible app, right? He pulled out that spiritual version of of an iPhone in that day and he looked up on the deal and he did a Google search. What do I say when Satan, did he do a Google search? Did he break out his King James Bible? Okay. Some people think so. Before printing press, before the Version app, how did Jesus respond with a sword? Because that word had been hidden in his heart. That word was abiding in him, and he was abiding in that truth, and he walked by the word. He didn't walk by his flesh. He didn't walk by his appetites. He didn't walk by the lies of the enemy. He walked by the truth of the word that he was abiding in, and that word was abiding in his story. It is written. It is written. It is written all three times. Now, in this first one, he says, take a look at it, man shall not live by bread alone, although we try. And there are plenty of people who are living off physical sustenance, living apart from Christ, even in the church. But it's misery, and it's emptiness, and it's bankrupt. But Jesus said, we actually find life, how? Off the word that comes from the mouth of God. That is our bread. That is our sustenance. And if we are fasting from our sustenance, we grow anemic and weak, and we are easy prey for the enemy. One of the beautiful pictures that God gave us in the Old Testament was the parable of the man. It wasn't even a parable. It was the reality of manna. And if you remember, we've talked about this before, that as Israel was delivered from their bondage in Egypt, as they marched out boldly, and you remember Moses led them all the way out after that uh, Passover night, And do you know how many people there were that he led out? The first church, mission church, first mission pastor started the first church out of Egypt. Do you know how many there were? 
two to three million. Now, how would you like to be the pastor of two or three million Baptists leaving Egypt, leaving all the comforts of the city, even though you've been slaves there, and now you wake up out in the desert? How are you going to feed 200? How are you going to feed 2,000? How are you going to feed 20,000? Try two or three million. And my experience personally, shepherding the flock, if you don't feed them, they ain't happy people. If they ain't got their groceries in their belly, they're coming after the leader. All right? That's why we give you a meal on Wednesday night, so you'll be nice to the preacher. Okay? So here's Moses leading two or three million people, and he's got to feed them. And they're starving to death. And there is no such thing as a happy meal, although there is a joy-filled meal that God's going to provide. And so he hears their cries. Lord, we need more. Give us some calories. And God sends manna. Now, that was a physical reality to meet a physical need that, quite frankly, was a sermon in itself. Yes, they needed bread. Yes, we need our groceries. We need caloric intake or we die physically. But that physical hunger actually is what God, I think, places in us. Why didn't he create us without a belly? Why didn't he create us without an appetite? Why do we need grocery? I'm not so sure that that wasn't created within us practically. That's how you stay alive. But it also teaches us about another reality, a deeper hunger, a hunger for spiritual food. It's a hunger for him. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for ice cream. I wish that was true. I'd be the most blessed man on the planet. (laughs) Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. A spiritual hunger. And that manna, as you look at that manna, it was a beautiful picture of a bigger reality. That just like we have hunger pains all through the day, we ought to have those same hunger pains all through the day for the things of God, for his righteous will, for his righteous person, and for his righteous purposes. But isn't it interesting that we're more hungry for proteins, carbs, and whatever else is, what's the other third one? Fats or whatever it is. I don't even know the whole nutrient system. But I know this, I desire to hunger for God even more than I do my groceries. And so we have this manna, and you look at the story of the manna and how God delivered it, think about it. You remember the story of the manna? How was the manna delivered? Come on trucks? It came down from heaven. It was like holy snow. They'd wake up. And where was the manna? When was the manna delivered? Do you remember? Early in the morning. Why in the morning? Because he only loves you morning people? No. Because that's what we needed. We needed the nourishment from the very beginning of the day. And so when did he provide it? From the crack of dawn, from the very beginning. And then what did he provide? If you go back and you read the story, he provided all the groceries they needed for that day. The exact fill. And they were to go out, and, and, and there were some who were just like some of us. we got to get more groceries than other people need or what we need. And they would try to stockpile and say, well, you know, I don't want to get up as early uh, tomorrow morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a double batch, and I'll get some for today, and I'll get some for tomorrow. That seemed like a good idea until they wake up the next day and what was true of the manna? It was nappy. And it was rotted. Because it was only designed to be for the need of that day. God's provision. 
Well, carry that over into our lives. And when you woke up today, Jesus had a batch of manna for you, the bread of life. The Word of God was waiting for you. It was there, fresh and ready for your day. But we sometimes get too busy, and we can learn to skip breakfast here, and we can skip a meal, and we can do this, and we can do that. And we can do that, but you're missing out on the bread of life. If we're not abiding in the holy groceries, we won't be abiding in a holy attitude and a holy power and a holy purpose. And so the enemy sells us out to fast food, and he gets us to substitute for those holy provisions, God's word, and we run into our day and we wonder why we're not bearing great fruit. Well, in the story of the manna, he provided enough for that day. You had to get it first thing in the morning. And then there was no such thing as Tupperware. You couldn't store it up. You used it up. And the next morning when you got up, you better go get another fresh batch. So when was the last time you had a fresh heavenly meal? When was the last time you took in some daily bread? I'm not talking about the little quarterly or the devotional thing. I'm talking about real I'm talking about the word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, what does it look like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to teach you some things and 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 we'll learn more of this as you sign up for one-on-one with God groups over the years to come. We get more into this, but there are three principles that come out of uh, a walk with God that we see in scripture. Now, these principles are very practical, but they're also very personal. They're only as good as you appropriate them to be. Just because these are biblical principles, if you're not applying them personally, they're of no value in your life. I can know about manna all day long, but if I'm sleeping in, I miss out on the manna. So here are the three Ps that we're going to give you as spiritual disciplines as we go through the Bible verse by verse. We're going to do the book of Ephesians. I really wish we'd do Philippians, but uh, that's where you've been. Many of you have already been there in Sunday school, so we're going to move over to Ephesians starting next week. But here's the first P. Write it down. A principle is this. As we read the Word of God, as we take in our manna, I want to make sure that as we do that, we're not just reading through the Word, but that we are consuming the Word. There's a difference between abiding in the Word and the Word abiding in us and us reading through the Bible. I'm not against anybody reading through the Bible. Many of you have maybe a Bible plan where you try to read through the Bible in a year. I'm not against that, but I am against just reading words on a page and saying, hey, I checked off and read the Bible, but I didn't let the Bible abide in me. I know I'm different than a lot of folks in the room, and I know I'm slower than a lot of folks in the room, so I go a lot slower. And I would rather focus in on the Word than read a bunch of words. I'd rather dig in and get there. So the first P is ponder. Write that word down, ponder. We're going to learn how to ponder on God's Word, not just read God's Word. As I said earlier, Jesus didn't have that Bible app. He didn't have a printing press, and so he didn't have a Bible in his hands, but he hid it in his heart. And the Bible says that he meditated on it day and night. He abided in the Word, and the Word was abiding in him, And in that moment when he went one-on-one with the enemy because he'd been one-on-one with the Father and one-on-one with the Word, he was ready to draw his sword. And today's average Christian draws blanks 
Or they'll try to draw John 3.16. Well, there's nothing wrong with John 3.16 in the right moment, but it doesn't fit all application. I need to be able to draw the word that speaks to the issue of the moment. And I need to be eating the bread of life to be nourished and to be strong spiritually. So Jesus hid it in his heart. He meditated on it day and night. And when the enemy approached him, what did he do? He hit him. And he hit him. And he hit him. And so we're going to learn how to dig into God's word and how to let God's word dig into us through pondering. And so you can see the picture there, ponder. It's a magnifying glass. It's kind of what I teach when I'm doing a one-on-one group and anybody I'm discipling is I tell them, let's look at this passage and let's put a magnifying glass on it. Play detective. Be a spiritual Sherlock Holmes. We'll learn to do this together on Wednesday night starting next week. And we will let phrases be magnified we'll let a certain word maybe jump out or certain truths that are there and we will let those jump off the pages of scripture and not just go through our head but make it to our heart that is pondering digging in you see god used certain words and certain truths that we needed to know and if he took the time to work over all of human history through different authors that he would inspire to write what we needed to know, there's a reason we need to know it. And so we're going to learn to dig in and, and see why did he say this and not that? Why, what does this mean? What's the picture here? What is there? So we will learn to ponder, to really dig in, and it'll make more sense starting next week. The second P, write it down, is as we ponder, as we see these truths jumping out, we'll learn to picture that truth. We'll learn to capture that in some way mentally into our heart uh, you say we doing some kind of new age thinking here what, what do you mean we're going to picture the bible well if you look at how jesus taught many times people would say you know you teach different than other people you teach with authority and your teaching is fresh and people wanted to and how did jesus teach often he taught through pictures Things that stay with us forever. Matter of fact, many of those truths he taught have still defined cultures thousands of years later. A prodigal. You mention the word prodigal, you can say that to anybody on the planet. They can be a believer or a non-believer. They know what a prodigal is. Used to be you could talk about the wheat and the tares, and we used to be the wheat capital of the world in Oklahoma, so a lot of people understood wheat. Now we're a bunch of city folk. I'm not so sure that we understand all that. When he talked about take on my yoke, not Y-O-L-K, Y-O-K-E, they understood what he was talking about. When he talked about building a home and two ways of building a house, and there were those that understood the importance of a foundation, there were others who would rather have a beach house and be down on the sand and right there and watch the beauty of the sunset and those waves rolling in and that was really awesome until hurricane season until stormy season and those pictures would stay there and they could anchor it when he talked about a path that was wide that leads to destruction i see i-35 do you not and the narrow path that few people are on I remember the wheat field behind our house that we would play in all the time. And when that wheat would grow, uh, we had to get to Kmart on the other side of Cleveland, I believe it was. Or No, you, you might have to help. Was it Cleveland between? It doesn't matter. We'll get there. Anyway, there was a street between my house and Kmart. 
And back then, Kmart, there was no Walmart. There was just Kmart. And they had an awesome deli sandwich. There goes the food again. And they had cool candy supply. And they had all these things. And so the big treat for us was to make it all the way over to Kmart. And we would craft our way through that wheat field. And, and there'd be an itty-bitty little path that just two little feet would take you through. And you would see where it was all trampled down. And there was that little narrow path. Way different than I-35. And those pictures stay with me. And so when I read that and I read the Word of God, those pictures become very real and anchor, help anchor that truth in. Third P. Third P is that we then pray. Ponder, picture, and pray. And when we pray, you'll go through this and you'll learn how to grow in your prayer life. You'll learn to go from monologue Christianity to dialogue Christianity. What do I mean by that? Well, monologue prayer is one-dimensional. Now, for a lot of people, prayer is a monologue. It's me telling God all of my problems and all the things he better fix if he wants me to still be his little boy or his little girl. And that prayer life is very one-dimensional. It's very much, God, this is what I need. This is what I need you to do. I talk to God. And you should talk to God, and we should share our hearts with God. But prayer is a holy dialogue. Another monologue is simply some people who are more humble, and it ain't about me, and so Lord, just speak to me today, and they'll read through the word, they'll have a quiet time, and they'll let God speak to their heart. It's a, still a monologue, one voice. Prayer is a holy dialogue. It's God who speaks into us. He gives us that manna. He gives us that daily provision. He is the bread of life, personally and then through his word. And he gives that to us, and he speaks to us. And when you're in the word of God, it isn't just to read facts to fill your head with. It is to abide in him and him to abide in us. And as he speaks, man, this is a good little tip. Be sure you speak back, right? Not enough just to be there in the conversation listening and letting the wife talk, right? You better dialogue, not enough just to listen even though we probably aren't i hate it when cammy says what did i just say i get in a lot of trouble because i'm there i heard but sometimes it's like the peanut cartoon the teacher in the classroom wah, 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 wah. and i'm not saying that about her i'm talking about me all right don't get me in trouble and turn off the internet if you would real quick uh, we can be hearing noise but not hearing the heart of the person speaking to us. And it's not enough just to hear the words, but there ought to be dialogue. There ought to be response in all of that. And so we're going to learn how to have holy dialogue, how to let God speak, and how to take those things that God is speaking in our lives and turn that into elevated prayer. Speaking those truths, praying those truths. Instead of it just being about this physical realm, God, the cold weather, Lord, my joint. We can pray about our joints all day long. Or we can pray about his kingdom. And we can pray about all the things we want God to do for us. Or we can pray about what is God wanting to do through us. You see the difference in the prayer? One's in the physical realm. The other is elevated into an eternal realm. And so that's where we're going. And what we're going to learn to do, the last slide I'll show you tonight is an example of, this is Philippians chapter 1, and this is a prayer journal I'm doing. Uh, this, what I've done here, you don't have to do it this way. This might look like a Bible. And some of you were taught you're not supposed to mark in the Bible. That's a holy book, and you need to treat it with holy reverence. And I would say this is extremely holy reverent. This shows God that I really want to be in his word, okay? 
and, and so I take a lot of notes, and I'll draw a lot of things, and I'll make a lot of, uh, as God is speaking to me, I'll pour that. And so we're going to learn how to dig in. That comes from pondering, digging in on that. And so what I've done is I've gone out to uh, a Bible site called Bible Gateway, and I've downloaded Philippians chapter 1 in this case. I've copied it and pasted it into a Word document. I give it margins on each side, like a wide margin Bible, and then that happens to be on an iPad, so I can take notes, digital notes, but you could do this on hard copy paper, and you can use your own pen and your own marker, and you can mark those things up. This is something that's really been great for me because it is going to be a digital Bible that I'm going to be able to pass on to all my kids and my grandkids, and they're going to be able to read in on what God taught their daddy or their grandpa. And they're going to be able to, and I'm going to be able to go back. And as God continues to teach me new things out of Philippians 1, I'm going to be able to go back and add more notes and, and add God what's speaking. Instead of that going in one ear and out the other, it goes down and it stays. And I ponder it and I abide in the Word, and the Word abides in me. And so next week, we're going to go to Ephesians 1. You can start reading ahead. You don't have to read real far ahead because I promise you, we'll probably get four or five, maybe six verses a week in. But we're going to get in the Word, we're going to dig in the Word. And I'm going to throw you things to your table, and you'll talk about verse 1 and say, okay, what, as you ponder verse 1, what are some things that jump out at you? And you'll start circling things, and you'll start marking key things, and then you'll share at your table, and you'll be iron sharpening iron, and we're going to learn how to not just read through the Bible, but to abide in the bread of life. Does that make sense where we're going? Okay. So I hope you'll be back next week. I hope you'll bring somebody with you. I'd love to see this room packed out on Wednesday nights because people are hungry for some more bread. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break up tonight, and uh, here's the good news. Uh, we started Chair Warrior Ministry on Sunday. It is time for the church to arise. It is time for us to engage in spiritual warfare, and we've created a ministry called Chair Warriors on Sunday mornings. You get to be ahead of the crew. By being here on Wednesday nights, I'm going to ask that you would pray over the chairs that are set up. Obviously, we won't have tables in here on Sunday morning, but guess where everybody sits on Sunday morning anyway? right back there where all the chairs are so i'm going to ask you tonight to spread out over the room adopt a part of the room and some chairs and just start praying over that space pray for god to speak to whoever sits in that chair now if it's a chair where you're sitting at normally on sunday move over somewhere else all right you pray for yourself when you get here sunday morning but i want you to pray for god to start doing let's ask god to do great and mighty things and let's expect god let's show up expecting god sunday to blow us away. Can we do that? All right. You're a chair warrior. You're dismissed. You go back to your chairs, find a space, pray over it. When you're done, you are dismissed in Jesus' name. If you want to write a prayer card, you can leave them on the tables tonight. We'll be sure to mail those out for you. But let's pray for one another. Let's pray for Sunday morning, and let's pray for God to do great and mighty things.